Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's FudSmart Roundtable Series webinar. My name is Ashley Robinson, and I'm the editor of FudSmart. Today, I'll be serving as your host for this webinar. Today's theme is, get it, is when spraying is bad, herbicide injury on potato plants. And I'd just like to take a quick second to thank McCain for partnering with us on this Roundtable Series webinar. So today's presenters are Vikram Bish, who is the plant pathologist for potato and horticultural crops with Manitoba Agriculture, and then Andy Robinson, who is the extension potato agronomist at North Dakota State University and the University of Minnesota. And at this time, I'd also like to mention that this webinar has been approved to offer one CCA credit, and we will show the QR code on screen after the presentation, so please make sure to stick around for that. And okay, so today we're gonna be learning about herbicide injury on potatoes, as I said before. And there's a multitude of, multitude of issues from spray drifting to soil carryover to sensitive varieties that can cause herbicide injury on potatoes. And while it can sometimes only cause a little damage, it can also easily lead to huge losses for your crop. So what can and should you do to protect your spuds? Today you'll learn what herbicide injury in potatoes is, how it happens, and what you can do for your spuds if they get hit. During the presentation, you'll likely have some questions for our speakers. Please type these into the chat box at any time during the webinar, and we'll address them during the question and answer session after the presentation. Today's webinar is being recorded and will be made available at spudsmart.com following this live event. So make sure to check back on our website, and we'll also send you an email to let you know when it's live. And okay, time for our first presentation. So Vikram Bish is, as I said before, the plant pathologist for potato and horticultural crops with Manitoba Agriculture. And he's based in Carmen, Manitoba. And Vikram attend, uh, obtained his PhD in plant pathology from the University of Illinois, where he worked on soybean diseases. And then he got his postdoctorate at the International Crops Research Institute for Semi-Arid Tropics in India, where he worked on phytophora blight on the pigeon pea crop. And prior to joining Manitoba Agriculture, he worked with hydroponic seed potato production facilities in Cumming, China, and then in Maine. In his current position, Vikram works on disease and pests affecting potato and vegetable crops in Manitoba. He is involved with insect, insect pests and disease monitoring, disease diagnosis, surveillance, and on-farm research and extension on diseases and herbicide drift. And he's a cooperator in the Canadian Agricultural Partnership projects on potato late blight in Canada and necrotic viruses, including PMTV in potato. And he's an active, active member of the Canadian Phytopathological Society and currently serves as the me membership secretary for their executive board. He was co-chair of the Potato Association America Organizing Committee for the 2019 meeting held in Winnipeg. And he has been a member of the organization's seed certification and extension subcommittees. Take it away, please, Vikram. Uh, uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks to Smart for inviting me to speak today. Uh, I'll go directly into the topic. Non-target herbicide injury is a frequently uh, occurring issue in many, many crops. Uh, potatoes are particularly sensitive to many herbicides used in uh, the uh, crops surrounding the uh, potatoes. The, there is a cost of uh, herbicide injury to potatoes, which could be very negligible or be very severe losses. On commercial crops, 
the losses are in yield reduction and tuber quality. But on seed quality, the losses can be very significant uh, due to possible rejection of the seed lots. And it could also become a problem for next year, the grower who uh, gets the infect or affected uh, seed lots. Uh, there's possibility of uh, litigation happening. And uh, so we have to be very careful of uh, uh, reducing these uh, issues for the potato growers. Herbicide injury is possible through various uh, ways, various means. Many of you already know this. Uh, drift from the nearby applications uh, under various conditions which uh, favor uh, the spread of the applied material, uh, whether it is too windy, there is no air movement, improper nozzles have been used for the uh, conditions, making very fine mist, air temperature inversions can be an issue, and proximity to the sensitive crops. Improperly cleaned uh, spray tanks can be an issue in many cases, not many, but uh, it does happen. Misapplication of the wrong product in the wrong field is an issue that happens quite often. Uh, mistimed application of herbicides when, uh, for example, the plants are emerging and uh, the uh, applicator sprays when the uh, uh, plants have already emerged, partly maybe, uh, maybe 50%, and did not realize that there were many ground cracks also. So this can lead to issues also. Soil residue is a big issue in some cases and important to understand how it happens. Sensitive varieties to already registered products on potatoes is an issue that happens sometimes. I'll go into uh, how do you recognize that a herbicide injury has occurred? One of the important things is for people to uh, understand, become familiar with the foliar symptoms of commonly used herbicides in your area. Uh, these are some commonly used herbicides that I have used. There may be many more. Uh, and it is also helpful to understand what is the distribution pattern. If the uh, symptoms of uh, the injury are uh, fading away from the edge of the field, it is possible that there is a drift associated. Uh, there may be other ways to understand how the drift happened. The affected plants are randomly distributed in a field and it is possibly a seed carryover. And often the concentration in zones uh, could be a soil issue. issue. Now, there are some cases where there is no visible injury. This may happen uh, either when the uh, herbicide that has uh, come onto the crop is at very, very low concentrations, but there are cases where, for example, glyphosate has been used on uh, crops for weed control, that is pre-harvest uh, dry down. Uh, there is a late season exposure. Unfortunately, in many cases, uh, the injury to the seed lot is not detected 
by the post-harvest testing that is done for viruses in the labs. And so uh, one of the important things, if there is a suspicion that there may have been some herbicide injury onto the seed crop, it is good to get a grow-out test. That is where you will uh, possibly catch uh, some of the uh, issues. I have been uh, called by uh, quite a few growers to visit uh, and uh, find out if there were uh, virus diseases or some other issues in the field. But uh, when I went uh, to many of these fields, they appeared to be either environmental or herbicide issues. And that is how I got involved into uh, working with the herbicide uh, uh, projects. So here on the top right, you see that there is some uh, malformation of the emerging uh, shoots. And uh, these are probably because of the cold or heat at the time of emergence. At the bottom, you have a typical uh, 2,4-D or uh, group 4 uh, symptoms. And many of these will... Uh, during the season, uh, produce uh, you know normal leaves like you see here, but there is uh, still an important thing to understand what these are. Here I am showing an example of uh, the glyphosate drift. Uh, when the wind is in the wrong direction and you are spraying Roundup Ready uh, soybeans, uh, it is possible that the potatoes can get affected. Here. On the uh, bottom right, you see typical uh, symptoms of uh, glyphos injury. Uh, that is the yellowing of the growing shoots and uh, new leaves. Uh, it is one of the most common issues that uh, I have seen around. Uh, just to uh, give you an idea that uh, early exposure uh, of the plants uh, at hooking or tuber initial stage is very harmful for the yields and quality of the potatoes. Late exposure, however, uh, that is mid-bulking or later, uh, there is hardly any uh, symptoms produced, or if they are produced, they can be easily missed. But these are actually uh, more harmful to the seed grower. Here is an example of uh, the Liberty from the Liberty Link canola. Uh, basically either oversprayed or drifted on because of the uh, light winds towards potatoes. So uh, many people consider uh, the liberty to be a contact herbicide, but for potatoes, it can be a seed issue as well. Uh, this is a very good example. Uh, in the spray tracks, uh, the uh, symptoms of typical uh, group four symptoms and these symptoms basically end uh, after a few uh, meters going into the crop and these symptoms were not seen anywhere else. So clear indication that uh, there was some uh, product left uh, in the spray tank uh, for fungicide applications. Here is a very good example of uh, what can happen if the uh, herbicide uh, is uh, going to uh, be used in the previous uh, uh, crop season. Uh, here it was uh, a that was applied on sunflower 
and the uh, gravelly areas of the field had uh, extremely poor emergence. The shoots and the roots were very much deformed. Any plant that came in had very typical uh, uh, group two uh, issues or symptoms. And this will happen in areas where the soil is gravelly, the low organic matter, or the uh, uh, conditions are very dry. This extends the residual life of the herbicide in the field. So it is important to uh, have good rotation for the uh, herbicides uh, in the potato uh, field program. Here is a very good example of uh, the uh, herbicide damage from group four. Uh, here you can see uh, I have marked in red the uh, inf affected plants are well distributed. So if a grower calls me that uh, he has some uh, diseased plants or something else is happening, it's uh, very easy to understand if you have, uh, you know, distributed plants, it is a seed borne issue. It could be virus or it could be a herbicide damage. Uh, it's important to understand what the symptoms look like. Here is uh, another example. Sometimes uh, you have uh, two different lots planted side by side for whatever reason. Uh, and here you had very poor emergence on the uh, right side and uh, the plants, uh, they had very typical uh, multiple sprouting. And uh, if you have this kind of uh, field besides a uh, regular or nice looking potatoes, you know there is something wrong and you can have a better investigation. Here is a misapplication. Uh, there was one uh, sprayer operator who wanted to finish the uh, odyssey that was uh, used for some other crop. Uh, some product was left in his tank and he decided to uh, go around the field and uh, spray the uh, product onto the potatoes. Needless to say, this field was rejected by the processor. And uh, here you have uh, really uh, bad looking potatoes. Uh, sometimes uh, we have uh, varieties which are quite sensitive to registered products. As an example, Metribucin, Sencor. Uh, the you know, some of the sensitive varieties could be many reds from the fresh um, or table market. Uh, Columba, uh, Innovator, Ivory, Russet, and Shepherdy are particularly most sensitive. They uh, would have venal chlorosis, as you can see on the leaves here. Uh, and uh, when the concentration is high, it would sometimes lead to uh, leaf uh, chlorosis, necrosis as well. Under stressful conditions, even Russet Burbank may show some symptoms of uh, herbicide uh, damage. Uh, it could be confused with uh, the virus disease if a single plant is seen. But if you see this kind of symptom in almost the whole field, then you know it is something that was applied. And then you can uh, investigate further and uh, realize that uh, it could be a herbicide uh, issue. And, uh, you know, after many of these farm visits to identify some issues that uh, came out to be uh, herbicide issues, 
I decided that uh, you know it would be good to have everything in one uh, spot. So I initially decided to have four herbicides uh, for a demonstration trial. So I used uh, the uh, uh, products, uh, sprayed it using a backpack uh, on uh, four-week emergent plants of Russet Burbank at 0, 1, 10, and 20% of the application rates. Tubers from this uh, plot were then uh, stored for 20, 2012 planting. This was started in 2011. And I have, uh, you know, it was good to see that uh, typical uh, symptoms of uh, the herbicide damage were produced. It was uh, good for the growers to have a look at it. And, uh, you know, it was very easy to go into the field and compare and uh, see these. And uh, the seed that was saved from 2011 exposure was planted in Winkler uh, research site and also in Portage. Uh, here you can see Odyssey uh, at uh, 10 and 20% basically gave no uh, emergence. Even 1% was uh, highly, uh, you know, detrimental. Uh, glyphosate was, uh, you know, not as bad, but it still affected the emergence. Liberty also came out to be uh, really uh, detrimental to the uh, seed performance. However, 2,4-D, uh, the plants seemed to be more vigorous, even at 20%. And uh, I was a bit surprised, even though we see a lot of symptoms, uh, the plants did better. And uh, just uh, coincidence uh, in my, uh, you know, I happened to be in Portage field that day and uh, Andy just uh, dropped by. And so here's my co-speaker today. Hi, Andy. Okay, the uh, plots were then harvested and uh, here, you know, the emergence translated very well into how the yields were, uh, 2,4-D. Uh, did not affect the yields or in fact actually increased whereas the other three uh, herbicides uh, the glyphosate the liberty and the odyssey were significantly uh, detrimental to yields and the effect increased with increasing concentration which is easily understood and i did uh, besides this uh, particular plot i also had planted a new crop of Russet Burbank to test uh, what would happen for the current season uh, simulated drift uh, issue. And so I selected uh, seven combinations of herbicide treatments. Uh, I will not go into the details, but uh, you can see that uh, the herbicides were quite uh, uh, detrimental to the uh, yields, except for 2,4-D. Here, one thing to note is the glyphosate, when applied late, did not really affect the yields very much. And the glyphosate applied early uh, in the crop season uh, was quite detrimental to the yields. And uh, we'll come back to this uh, again later. So uh, that was 2012 and 2013. I didn't present any data, but uh, after nine to 10 years of uh, uh, absence, there was uh, renewed interest 
in showing the uh, impact and the symptoms uh, to the new crop of uh, growers and uh, agronomists. And so I decided to have eight uh, combinations of the herbicides that uh, are currently used. I used uh, Rustler here, uh, which is a combination of glyphosate and dicamba. There are other combinations that would uh, uh, be available currently. Uh, so I used Bacteril, Ingenia, Infinity, Liberty, Odyssey that had been used earlier, early and late uh, roundup. And uh, so the percentage of application was uh, in this uh, slide. This was 5%, 10%, and 20% rate of applications. And so all along here, we have 20% rate of application. I have Bacteril, Infinity, Odyssey, Rustler, uh, Control uh, Treatment here, Liberty, Ingenia, and Early uh, Glyphosate. Uh, so in this one, you see that uh, Infinity uh, did a great job on producing beautiful symptoms. You would also notice that the uh, guard rows were not affected. So uh, whoever did the spraying did a good job. We actually used uh, uh, spray boards to protect the side rows. So it worked very well. And I decided to show you what the infinity symptoms look like because I had not shown earlier. Uh, there is a white uh, margin that you can see on the leaves. As the concentration increases, the uh, whitening increases, and then there is uh, also start of necrosis. Uh, here is the plot that uh, we had. Just to give you an idea, <clears throat> uh, again, all of these herbicides at different rates uh, were affecting the yields. Uh, glyphosate uh, applied late had only 5% reduction. And then we had Engineer, which had about 16%. The Rustler, Liberty, and early uh, glyphosate had uh, almost in the mid-range. Mid Bacteril M, I was surprised, affected about uh, close to 50% yield reduction. And as expected, Infinity and Odyssey uh, had 60% reduction in yield. So these are herbicides, if they are to be applied in your neighborhood, you may want to talk to your neighbors. Uh, protecting yourself, how do you protect yourself? So I suggest that, uh, and people do it, uh, to maintain proper pesticide logs. Uh, you know, in case of litigations, these uh, uh, spray logs are basically uh, required if you're going through litigation or you want to protect yourself. Uh, and there are many details to be uh, kept for that. Uh, inform the neighbors, talk to them that you have a, a sensitive crop close to theirs. And uh, uh, also be aware what are the neighboring crops. And uh, uh, it uh, could help in uh, the uh, avoidance of the problem. So what can be done if there is a seed carryover uh, that is suspected. One of the first things is to inform the certification officials, crop consultants, if you have any, and also the seed seller. 
because they need to know that uh, there has been a possible uh, suspicion here. It is important to take the samples as soon as possible and get them analyzed for herbicide residues. Unfortunately, in many cases, the resolution for detection is often higher than the levels which may still be producing symptoms in the field. Uh, for example, uh, glyphosate uh, resolution in some of the labs is about 10 parts per billion, but symptoms can be expressed at this or below this level and sometimes below detectable limits. And so it is important. So in summary, I would say uh, I've done simulated herbicide drifts in uh, three, four years. What I found was the uh, symptoms on the foliage or leaves were quite diagnostic for a specific herbicide or herbicide group. Tubers did have growth cracks, rough skin, malformation, but for me, none were diagnostic for a specific herbicide or a specific group. Uh, the early exposure of herbicides affect the current season yields and tuber quality. Late season, on the other hand, may not show you much uh, loss, but it can be a big issue for seed uh, because the herbicides get translocated into the bulking potatoes. And uh, finally, it is important to keep log of the pesticide applications in case there are some litigation issues. I thank you very much for your time. And this is one of the field plots in Winkler. Thank you. Thanks, Vikram. You did a great job. Those pictures were really helpful to see because I know um, it's hard to understand what's happening unless um, you actually see it, the symptoms sometimes. And remember, everyone listening in, if you have any questions for the presenters, please type these into the chat box at any time during the webinar, and we'll address them during the question and answer session following the presentations. And reminder, we will show the CACA code on the screen after the presentations are finished. So next up, we have Andy Robinson, who is the Extension Potato Agronomist at North Dakota State University and the University of Minnesota. Andy grew up farming in Parma, Idaho with his family. He received a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University and his master and doctorate degrees from Purdue University. Andy's research and extension goals are to develop science-based solutions to address real-world problems in potato production, enabling producers to increase economic and environmental sustainability through improved crop management. Potato producers throughout the world can follow him on the NDSU slash U of M potato extension website. And Andy contributes regularly to the Valley uh, Potato Grower, writing Andy's advice. His work has taken him around the globe speaking, conducting research, and providing education. This work has been acknowledged by being awarded the Spudman Emerging Leader Award, the Myron and Muriel Johnsrud Excellent in Extension Award, Communicator of the Year Award from NDSU Extension. And he enjoys traveling and spending time in nature with his wife, Michelle, and five children. Take it away, please, Andy. All right. Well, it's good to be here today. Thank you, everybody, for coming. So I'm going to try to add a little bit more to what Vikram talked about today. So I'm going to get a little bit more into the modes of action of some of these herbicides and how they work and function, which will help you understand some of the symptomology that you might see. I'll also discuss a little bit on soil residuals and how to protect your crop. So I think the first thing to think about when we're talking about injury to potato tubers is we need to understand how some of these herbicides work. So there are herbicides that are contact only herbicides. Those would be products that have 
um, things such as diquat in them that we use to maybe vine kill. They don't move through the plant. They just kill and act where they touch. And then there's those that translocate through the plant. And so the primary ones, like Vikram talked about, you're going to see issues with, and tubers are going to be your group two, group fours, and even group nine, which is your glyphosate. So those are the primary ones typically we deal with as far as herbicide injury and potatoes goes. So where do you look when you have injury? So typically you're going to see, visually see injury in the leaves. Um, Sometimes you'll see it in the tubers, sometimes you won't. It depends a lot on the environment, the timing, the product that's used that, that is exposed on the plant. So uh, there's a lot of things you really need to look at and having somebody that can help. Sometimes if you're not very comfortable with it, it's important to do calling your agronomist or extension personnel or whoever might be available to help you out. So um, anyways, let's get into here. So injury. If I break this down, if you look at your group, your group twos, your PGRs, you're typically going to see injury pretty rapidly, usually within a week. The lower the amount that the plant is exposed to, the longer it might take to show up. Whereas your, sorry, your group fours, that's your PGRs, your group twos and your group nines, your glyphosate and your LS inhibitors and SUs and things like that, they're going to typically take longer based on the mode of action and how they function in the plant. And that might take two or three weeks sometimes for those to show up, those symptoms. So what do you do when you find herbicide damage? And so this is, I think, something very important. I think growers need to remember when you do find it or somebody sees it, a scout or whoever it is in the field, it's really important to document it right away. There's a nice extension article NDSU has on this about how to document suspected herbicide damage. So it's good for you, number one, to make records of this, but also if you have a governmental uh, agency that will come and investigate too, that can also be very important. Because for me, in my work as an extension specialist, my job is to educate. So I help growers understand what's going on, what the problem is, but I have no authority to um, enforce any laws or rules. And that, to me, where I'm at goes to the state, the Department of Ag. They're the ones that have rules and can enforce them. They have the authority to do that. So it's important to note these symptoms, to contact the proper channels if needed, if something major is happening. Because usually in potatoes, when there's injury, there's a lot of money involved. And the reason why you do this right away is because over time, those injury symptoms, they will lessen. You'll get new leaves sometimes that grow over them. They might disappear. Then all of a sudden, it's difficult to find. Or it even may be difficult to find in a laboratory test as the plant breaks down those products. So let's talk specifically about some of the symptoms you'll see from different modes of action. So for the growth regulators of group fours, you're going to see what we often refer to as epinasty, and that is kind of this twisting, curling, bubbling, wrinkling of the stems, leaves, leaflets. Sometimes you'll get this parallel veination where the veins, instead of going away from that midrib, will kind of more almost line up with that midrib vein. Um, but you'll see this twisting. It's very common. People are very aware of what this looks like. What happens to the tubers? Well, a 2,4-D injury, you'll often see, especially this is more so on russet varieties, less so on the smooth skin potatoes. Um, but 2,4-D, you're going to tend to see maybe deeper eyes, maybe slightly smaller tubers. Sometimes, um, well, often, I guess you could say, we use it in red potatoes. A, a low dose of 2,4-D is used to actually increase anthocyanins to maintain that red color of the skin. 
but it's it's not a um, 240. It's kind of interesting because in the U.S. there is a label that allows I think it's up to 50 parts per billion is allowed in the tuber. So that's always the issue with most herbicides is if you get herbicides into a tuber, what are the food safety levels that, that are allowed to have? So some some products have a level, some don't. So you have to check with your you know your country, your state rules. As far as seed, Vikram mentioned, I, I, we've never seen 240 carryover in seed. Um, we've done multiple replicated studies of this and haven't seen it happen. So as far as carryover of 240 and seed, um, hasn't been found. Dicamba is a little bit different compound. Uh, it's becoming more and more of an issue because of the amount of acres that dicamba is being applied to. And so typically you're going to get the similar symptoms of 2,4-D, the epinacy, but they're going to be slightly more severe. And you can see what they call often a fiddle neck or, or these big, these top of these leaves twisting just straight over. And sometimes it will completely inhibit the growth of new leaflets or new leaves. And so as you go from 2,4-D to dicamba and then you get into some of the like clopyrrolids or picolabs, it just gets worse and worse the amount of symptoms you get by the lower the rate goes and, and the longevity of them in potatoes. So dicamba can cause some pretty ugly tubers, especially when it's earlier in the growing development of the tubers. So typically, like Rick was mentioned, that early bulking, early to mid-bulking, as those tubers continue to grow and expand, when you disrupt that growth, you'll get bigger growth cracks and fissures along those tubers because that tuber is growing quite rapidly, and and that's just a result of what happens from that herbicide disrupting the growth. And then as far as carryover and seed, yes, it carries over. We've seen it carry over um, where the whole entire plant looks like it was drifted on, or sometimes I've seen the plants emerge. They look fine the first three or four leaves, and then all of a sudden start expressing symptoms. But yeah, you'll see that, that random effect through the field with the seed residue issue. You get into glyphosate, typically you're going to see, again, this is translocated to the, the growing spots, the newest leaves, and also down in the tubers and the roots. And so that's why you typically see the yellowing on the leaflets and the leaves. It typically will stunt the plant growth and just reduce overall production. Tubers can become really ugly. These are pretty severe cases here um, from our research trials. But typically, it can cause, again, cracking and malformations of tubers earlier happens in the season. Elephant hide also is something that's very common with uh, exposure to glyphosate. So in the seed, yeah, you can get this kind of crazy assortment of different symptoms from glyphosate. Kind of I, when I'm looking for this in the field, I'm usually looking for two or three of these symptoms. Because if you're just looking like at an erratic emergence pattern, that could be caused by a lot of different things. You could have rot of your seed. You could have a lot of other things going on um, to cause that. But when I see an erratic emergence pattern, plus if I dig up tubers and you see multiple stems coming out of an eye, the one picture here again is a very extreme case. But uh, you know most potato growers know that having probably more than two or three stems coming out of an eye is is not natural. And so, anyways, you see, start seeing some of these symptoms. You start putting the pieces together. Okay, this could be an issue. It's not something I did. You get into some of the what we call the ME herbicides. Um, these typically cause more issues with soil carryover because longevity they have in the soil, and it's going to cause symptoms such as 
yellowing of leaves, kind of elongated leaves with almost a boat tip shape at the end. As you can see, these are, if you look at the tubers, you can get smaller tubers, you can have knobs, cracks, sometimes banana, pear shape. So it, it varies a bit, again, based on, on the variety, the, the amount of product that they're exposed to, et cetera. You get under the sulfonureas, again, you're going to get cracking, you're going to get smaller tubers, maybe pear-shaped or banana-type-shaped potato tubers. Again, all undesirable, and they're coals, and they can't be sold and marketed for anything. So with a lot of herbicides, you're typically going to get cracking of tubers just because you're disrupting that growth in the potato plant. And then again, these are this is just an example. This is clomazonis. Again, this is a contact herbicide, kind of like the diquat example I was talking about earlier, where it doesn't move through the plant, but it can disrupt growth and it can disrupt the photosynthesis that are being pushed to the tubers, and that can cause tubers to crack and become malformed. So it doesn't mean the product's in the tuber, but it could disrupt the growth enough to cause again tubers that are unmarketable. And then just keep in mind, too, every time I give one of these talks about herbicides, everybody likes to find uh, uh, every problem and call it a herbicide injury. But this is where you have to be careful because there's a lot of things that can cause tubers to become malformed, cracked, and not look right. And so environmental stressor, stressors certainly can cause cracked tubers. You, some people claim nutritional imbalance can do this. Uh, diseases have been shown and reported in multiple research papers to show that tubers crack and then also new genetics you can have varieties that are more prone to cracking and so tuber cracking can be caused by a lot of things herbicide is just one of them and so again i think that's why it's important to look at your foliar symptomologies look at spray records knowing what's around your field even so sometimes it's putting a puzzle together uh, through all the different things that are going on to figure out what the most likely candidate is and then even testing those tubers afterwards. So we have this poster here um, that we put together at NDSU, and we can get you a short link for that if you want, but it's it's available for download for free. Um, but just kind of gives some pictures of what some of these different herbicide injury symptoms look like based on the different modes of action that are out there. And just kind of give you an idea. But again, like I said, a lot of them, a lot of these products are just going to cause tubers to crack because it disrupts growth and so that's pretty common and the severity will vary tremendously based on the rate that's applied or that it's the plants exposed to the environment the variety etc so there's a lot of things that affect this um, but this is just kind of a, a short guide that, that can be utilized so speaking of soil carryover this can certainly happen as well and probably the biggest thing to me is really looking at the labels because a lot of research has been conducted on labels to give a really good understanding of when you should be able to plant back safely. And so that's, to me, that's number one, you know, when growers call me and ask me if it's okay to plant a potato following a certain herbicide that was applied and it's still within that window of you shouldn't apply, you shouldn't apply, you know, because don't ask me for permission to apply when it's still not label to apply because I'm never going to say you can because you need to follow the label. There's too much, again, there's too much money and time and effort involved in potatoes and you don't need to risk that potential injury. And so soil carryover is affected by a lot of things. Um, microbial activity is primarily the main function that breaks down a lot of these products. 
And so that is usually increased when you have warmer temperatures and moisture. And so things such as dryness, cooler temperatures, lots of organic matter can tend to cause more herbicides to carry over in general. So this is just an example here. This is um, Clopirola that was actually sprayed in this field previously, and this is a low spot and it kind of, actually some of these products are also more water soluble when they move. And so this is a spot where it kind of accumulated and this is what the plants look like from that carryover. So here's another soil carryover situation um, where some product was applied the previous year in a contaminated tank and caused soil carryover problems in this field. And so this is a, a an ME herbicide, you can see the bottle brushing of the roots, which is a classical symptomology of this class of herbicides. And again, not very healthy plants, not not good. So this is a case where spray boom was cleaned out in the field um, with a Mazamox. And again, there was so much there that it carried over to the next year of potatoes. So we do have cases like this too, sometimes where you're not, you know, you have to, again, not everything is herbicide related. And that's where, again, we have to be careful and make sure we understand what's going on in the situation. So this is a situation where actually the field on the left, we see the potatoes growing. This is all the same variety planted the same date. Um, but on the left, that was fumigated with metam sodium. And on the right, that was non-fumigated. And there's a nematode issue in this field. And so that's why we see that different. There's nothing to do with herbicides in this case. And so this is just more pictures from that with the nematodes that this is not herbicide. So what do you do um, about some of these herbicide issues, right? So it's really important to know field history. Try to get at least two or three years worth of records because some products can carry over for a long time. So it's important to look at that, especially if it's not a field you've ever grown potatoes in. A lot of land renting and swapping happens with potato production because of our long rotations. Make sure your seed is, is certified and of good quality. Uh, make sure when you're spraying that you use good spray techniques. A lot of the seed growers I work with, most of them actually now, they have a separate sprayer. If they're growing other crops outside of seed potatoes, they have a separate sprayer they use for their seed potatoes and they do all the rest of their crops because there's too much risk involved. And you find out fast too, if you accidentally don't clean out your tank or hurt your seed potatoes, you could buy a few sprayers for the cost of that mistake. And so it's really good insurance to have a separate sprayer. Uh, and then again, if something looks suspicious in your fields, document it right away, take pictures, do everything you need to. So we put together a little um, publication here at NDSU, how to sample. So if you suspect herbicide injury in your potatoes, here's a, a guide that you can follow if you want. Uh, you can download it here at the short link z.umn.edu forward slash injury. But basically the steps are you want to document it. You want to sample it. If you want to do a chain of custody, especially if you're concerned about potential litigation, that's a good way to just ensure that the sample is, you know, documented the whole way through into the laboratory. Um, so just cleaning the sample, usually if there's dirt or soil on it and then getting it shipped to a laboratory. So anyways, um, that's kind of a quick rundown on some of the herbicide injury stuff we have and what to do about it. Um, but the important thing, too, is just to communicate, communicate with your neighbors. If there's issues, communicate with them. Let them know you have potatoes nearby and they're sensitive and try your best to you know, stay out of it because nobody really ever wins when there's these herbicide issue cases. The, the person that might have misapplied the product, you know, they're going to lose. You're going to lose. And there's really no winners. And so the best thing to do is try to avoid this as best possible.
so appreciate your time and we're happy to take questions i think ashley yeah thank you so much andy that was a great presentation i found you and vikram's presentations really kind of built off each other and were great complimentary pieces so i learned a lot listening and yeah as andy said let's start the question and answer session if you have a question for either of our presenters that you haven't typed in yet please type it in the chat box now so i'm going to start off with um a one question so you guys both showed a lot of pictures of um uh, Vikram, you showed a lot of pictures of uh, potato plants that had herbicide injury, and uh, Andy, you showed pictures of both uh, tubers and plants that had herbicide injury. So I know you guys did say that a lot of the times you can see the herbicide injury on the leaves before um, harvest, but is there any instances where you may not see herbicide injury until um, you do harvest and dig up those buds and see it on the on the tuber? Yeah, uh, one of the examples that I gave was the uh, glyphosate applied on uh, different crops for dry down or weed control in say uh, canola or uh, wheat. Uh, some of that gets drifted onto the potatoes. Uh, there is no visible symptoms on the potatoes at that late stage, but enough of that material goes into the potatoes and we have had a lot of issues uh, in different uh, provinces uh, that I have gotten called for. And they are basically herbicide glyphosate applied late in the season. And uh, you only realize that next year. And in many cases, the by the time the plants have come up, uh, the grower, uh, took the samples, but rather late in one case, and the uh, pesticide or the herbicide was below detectable limits, yet there were symptoms on the emerging plants. So, yes, there are many cases like that. Thank you. And Andy, is there anything else you'd like to add there? Yeah, I think the other thing to keep in mind, too, on these um, translocating herbicides, if it's a determinant growth, pattern that that plant has and it stopped growing leaves you're not going to see it in the leaves it's going to all get moved to the tubers and so you have late season but you also have deter determinate plants that won't express it and the other thing to keep in mind too is sometimes the rate is so low that the expression of the symptoms is so minimal that you may miss it to an untrained eye you may not see some of these symptoms that are so slight um, that it may be missed or within three or four days, the symptomology is already gone and you miss it too. So that can happen as well. Thank you. And uh, just everyone, if you have any questions, please type them in the chat box. Um, another question I have is, of course, you guys uh, talked about how a lot of times these potatoes, if uh, they do have herbicide injury, they will be uh, rejected by processors or other buyers. So what can you do? Are like these potatoes still able to be edible? Would you be able to maybe sell them in the ugly potato movement or are these mainly just sent for um, uh, uh, cattle feed or something? Well, I think it depends on what is legally allowed. So in the United States, the Environmental Protection Agency labels has, they have a, basically a list of how many parts per million of a product can be in a food product, right? So if you exceed that value, then you cannot sell it for food or for feed. And so that's where you run into some big problems. If you can't sell it, then then that's when you have a lot of trouble. And so um, 
so that's why yeah sometimes these things get pretty pretty uh challenging because you can't do anything with it at times um sometimes if it's like say glyphosate and seed uh if it's a seed crop you could always grow back the next year because if you got so if you get exposed one year and then you grow up the next year and you see the symptoms that so the granddaughter tubers i've never seen glyphosate carry over two generations only one and so there's some strategies you can use that way but if it's a commercial crop there's not much you can do if it's above food safety tolerance levels and uh, I understand that the processors would uh, randomly select lots for herbicide check. And if they find something over the MRLs, then they would basically reject uh, the loads or uh, do something else, but not use it. Thank you, guys. And um, how do you safely dispose then of a, of a potato crop if it's rejected due to the amount of, uh, of uh, residue in it? Mm. I think Probably that question is best answered by the growers <laughs> themselves. <laughs> but uh, yes, in case uh, it's a very, uh, you can say, the residual effect is very high, then it should not be put in a next season's uh, potato field. But it could be composted or disposed of in uh in a field which would be, say, field crops are basically put into the compost piles. Okay, well, thank you guys. Um, now we're showing the CCA credit uh, uh, code on screen. So if you just want to scan it with your device and hopefully that works, but if you have any trouble with the, uh, scanning the code, you can email me at arobinson at seedworldgroup.com and um, Please include your name and your CCA number in the email, and I will make sure that you get that credit. So, yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, also, just a reminder, this is uh, being recorded, so we will you will be able to go back and watch this if there's any parts that you missed or anything. Or um, And, of course, the code will be shown then, so you guys can get credit for watching it later. I'll just leave it up there for another minute. Uh, it was uh, very interesting. I got a couple of uh, texts from friends from India who were listening in. So it is good that Spurt Smart has a wide reach. Oh, that's great to hear. And hello to those uh, tuning in from India. We're so happy to have you here today. Okay. And well, thank you guys so much. Thank you to both Vikram and Andy for being on here today. And um, thank you so much to McCain for sponsoring it. Um, I'm just thankful for all your guys' support. We can never do these webinars without uh, people like uh, Rickerman and Andy volunteering their time to help out. And then, of course, uh, McCain helping us to make sure to bring this to all of you listening in. And, of course, a big thank you goes out to all those who have participated in today's webinar. I hope you found this information uh, valuable. And again, a recording of this webinar will be made available on spudsbar.com shortly after. And thanks again, and we hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, Ashley, and Sports Smart. Thank you, Vikram. <laughs>